They may sound nuts, but so do the Wright brothers. Now, here's Flieger and Briggs. Welcome in a brand new episode of It's Just Sports here on the 12 Ounce Sports Network. Check out everything they have to offer over at 12OunceSportsNetwork.com. Make sure I say that. And on Twitter, at 12 Ounce Sports, at 12OZ Sports. And, of course, you can follow your boys at Asylum Football on Twitter. It's just sports123 at gmail.com to be part of the show. And you can find all our archives, even the old days before. It's it's just sports over at AsylumFantasySports.com. I am Rick Flieger, joined, unfortunately, today by my octogenarian co-host via telephone. So apologies uh, if the if it doesn't sound quite as smooth as it normally does, but it appears there is a uh, flu outbreak here in our studio and Rick being old and feeble and, and really just the, the, the weaker of the two has decided to stay home. I heroically soldiered into the studio. I'm willing to take it on to get this show on the air. So Rick, uh, hop on here real quick and apologize to everyone. Nothing to apologize for being the smart one of the bunch. And um, I'm right here, still live in Studio A uh, that has been temporarily shut down, just dusted off a few mics and everything in Studio A, and we're raring to go. And uh, I'm Rick Briggs. My partner in Studio B is Rick Flieger. We are Flieger and Briggs, and this is It's Just Sports. Yeah, the the, the tough guy, the man. Maybe it's corona. We're going to get into coronavirus later, Rick. So I'll tell you what, not a lot going on in terms of big, overarching sports stories this week. So lots of little things, lots of little interesting things. So, Rick, I'm going to start out with you. We've talked about it a couple weeks here. It's getting closer and closer. This is actually my... My favorite week of the year, conference tournament weekend, and the NCAA is heating up. Boy, you are not kidding, Rick. And, um, you know, it's like you said, the tournaments are getting ready to start. And really, as of right now, um, they've got a lot of teams already set, not really officially set, but who we know is going to be in. And if you look at what they project as – the la- they're the last teams in, and then the la- and then the first four out. Um, you see bit of, a bit of a contrast. Now I see like um, the last four in Wichita State, one of them at twenty three and eight. I'm a little surprised with this, Rick. I wanted to get your take on that because I tell you what, Wichita State is, is traditionally one of these dangerous teams in the NCAA tournament that, that we've seen routinely knock off quite a few people. I mean, it's not like they're having a bad year. I mean, they're 23 and eight. They, they stumbled a little bit during the, the course of the year, but they're playing well right now. And it, it just seems to me that, um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just kind of shocked that they're like really this close to the bubble. If you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think in most years, in in most past years, uh, with what they have been able to do in the tournament historically and and sitting at 23 wins, I think they'd almost be a no-brainer. One thing I've really noticed is while there are a wad of teams with 20, 21, 22, even 23 wins, 
kind of down there on that bubble line. It's a really soft bubble, and, and I think it's for this reason. You know, you you've got the Dayton's of the world who are going to be a, a number one seed, opening things up to perhaps more A ten teams. You got now now you got two teams out west with San Diego State losing to Utah State. Utah State was on that bubble. I think they were going to get jobbed out of it, but now they get the auto bid, and of course San Diego State's going to be in. But we have so many in the Power Six conferences, so many teams in that 19-20, 21-win kind of window right there is it's just been, I don't know if it's parity, if it's been a, a weak year, I, I, however, whatever your viewpoint is of it. There's so many, you got Archie Miller having a fit, so many Indianas of the world, right, that that I think this is actually where, where it's going to be a wide-open tournament. This is setting up to be a really bad year for these mid-major at-large teams because there is so many power six teams kind of fitting in right on that bubble and you know when it all comes down to it that's who's getting in yeah you're you're absolutely right and and you can understand some of the teams like an nc state they're 19 12 and the ace you know and they're in the acc of course and if they get on a little bit of a heater in the conference tournament, obviously you know they're going to get in. They're, they're one of the teams out as, at this point projected right now. But conversely, I mean, we have a, a Texas Tech team that's sitting at 18 and 13 um, in the Big 12. I mean, not – I mean, you look at Baylor. You throw Baylor and Kansas out of there, you're not sitting back there and say, wow, you know, that Big 12 is awesome. I mean, they're sitting at 18 and 13 – Give me a Wichita State or, or a twenty-four and seven Richmond over these guys any day right now. Yeah, Richmond's a team I, I have on my list that, that I'm worried about. Kind of, kind of based on every everything I've said. Because look, after what they've done in the recent past, they, they want the Texas Techs in there. The, the fact that Indiana's even on the bubble and Archie Miller's having this big fit is ridiculous to me. In a year where the Big Ten wasn't so strong. It's just, it, it, it's setting up a, a really, really odd year, and it's going to be bad for the mid-majors. You're, you're going to see a lot of power sixes. I'm with you. I would rather see the Wichitas of the world, the Utah States of the world, who are relatively highly ranked just a few weeks ago, slip coming down the stretch. Luckily, as we said, they, they get in with the auto bid. But it, it's going to be, I think, that type of year. Some, some of the best basketball, at least most in intriguing games might be those Tuesday, Wednesday playing games with that 11 seed playing games. You're going to see some major, major, you know, traditional powerhouse teams, I think, playing, trying to play their way in there on, on Tuesday and on Wednesday. I agree. And, and, you know, you brought up Indiana, you know, the projection I'm looking at right now, uh, you brought up Utah state as well. They, they have Utah state and Indiana, both at 10 seeds right now. And yet Rutgers in the same conference as Indiana at 20 and 11 um, right now is on the bubble. One of these last four teams that, that they like to, to um, say. So, I mean, you know, it's really weird. I, I think an early exit to a conference tournament 
is an early exit out of the NCAA on some of these Power Six teams, quite frankly. Yeah, and I think that's that's what's going to make this week even more exciting. Like I said, as much as I love the the first weekend, you know, starting Thursday, the NCAA tournament, when you get into conference tournament week like this, and there's just games from noon all night, and games, there's so many, you can't get them all on TV. You've got to stream things. It's going to be a great week. And it's going to be important. You know, teams are surging. Teams are falling back. There's 20-win power six teams sitting on that bubble. You look at a Rutgers, I think their biggest problem is what's going to hurt them. They are going to have to win a game or two in this Big Ten tournament, if for no other reason to prove that they can win anywhere but in Rutgers. You know, just a couple of days at home. They're so good at home, and they beat Maryland at home a couple weeks ago. I saw them in person. Now, granted, back in, in late November, early December, December, they're so bad on the road. I watched them come into the Peterson Event Center and lose to a pit team at home. It's just this team is so bad on the road. We'll see how that translates to to neutral site type of games. But th- th- this is the type of thing that, that could really hurt them being that bad on the road. Yeah, I agree. And um, it, it is. It, it's going to be. I don't, I don't know how to put it, but other other than just say much more exciting than I think what we're used to seeing some of these conference tournaments trying to get in for Selection Sunday. Yeah, so, and, and look, lots of, you know, get to get to the bigger names, lots of big names surging after, you know, probably being, I don't want to say they're on the bubble, but but looking at a, at a high seed, low seed, depending on which direction you want to read. You look at a Virginia just surging right now and, and looking ready, poised to make another run. Of course, you don't look now here. Now it's March. Tom Izzo just woke up and woke his boys up, and now they look like the best team in the country, which we thought they were going to be to coming into the year. Got off to that slow start. They are just surging, I think, just increasing more and more the amount of teams that could make a deep run in this thing. And, of course, we said that last week. You know, um, you know when we were first starting to speculate some of the um, – uh, teams getting into the tournament, you know, you ignore Michigan State at your own peril right now because this is the time that they start getting tough. And, you know, Izzo has been there before, and they are traditionally a, a real ham and egger type team. You know what I mean? You get into a slugfest with them, you're you're going to lose. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about it. And Winston, after all the the sort of the personal issues, the the loss of his brother early on in the year, he really has it rolling right now. After after what was a tough beginning of the season, so and there's a lot of teams like that. I mean, look, Rick, even in North Carolina, who's been terrible this year, you got Cole Han- Anthony back healthy. Garrison back held. You look, they, they kind of have, starting with Duke on Saturday was only, I forget what they said, the fifth or sixth game uh, they ultimately lost, where they had their initial, you know, projected starting five healthy and all together. Would, would you be stunned, Rick, if North Carolina at under 500 went in and won the ACC tournament and stole stole an auto bid? You know, there, there, there's situations like that out there, and, and Carolina's one I'm watching. Yeah, they're they could be a dangerous team. I'm I, I really wasn't thinking on the same line as you were, where they could actually, you know, make a run and, and actually take the conference tournament. But I could actually see them knocking off um, a couple of the real powers in the ACC, which could hurt their seating. But they're still a dangerous team. They're certainly not as bad as what the record would indicate. 
But, you know, I'm going to we'll just kind of bypass the first few in the rankings. I just wanted to get your take on a couple, some of the, the, the power teams that are ranked, you know, in the bottom half of the top 25. We talked about a little bit yet last week, Butler, you know, we're both kind of on board that they're a sneaky, tough team, but you know, how about West Virginia surgeon? They've, they've come up eight spots since last week and you know, that huge victory over the weekend, you know, West Virginia starting to play some pretty good basketball. Yeah. Yeah. You wonder about them. I, I've seen them play quite a few times this year and it is when, when it's going right for them, like it did over the weekend with Baylor, you think this is a team that could make a deep run. And then they just have some inexplicable, inexplicable for our English speaking friends, losses hanging out there as well. They're an interesting team. You know, they, they got the fresh, the freshman Shibway. I can never say it right. Oscar Shibway for, for local to us, Rick, who he can take over and dominate games, but he is a freshman. They haven't been the press Virginia thing continues to work, but they haven't been as good defensively. I think it all does come down to the big man in the middle. When he's out there and he's dominating specifically on the defensive end and blocking shots, I just think we, we sometimes forget, too, it's easy to keep going back to this. Now we're going into you know neutral court games. You have Baylor coming into that arena. West Virginia is a tough place to play, and that building, I watched that game, that building was nuts. It was insane. And there, there, Rick's computer's talking to us again. So uh, you got to close that window. Oh, now, now he just dropped completely out. So uh, we're going to keep going on here. I will uh, effort to get him back on the line very shortly. But, uh, you know, looking at West Virginia, I, I think the fun fun part about all this is the, the small conference tournaments right now. I actually sat back and watched uh, watched Hampton play Winthrop. And what you see, you see these crazy things where, you know, whereby you got a, a Hampton team that's sub 500 taking on Winthrop over 20 wins, clearly probably the best team in the conference. And just, poor Hampton, they had four guys with four fouls heading in, you know, early, early in the second half. Uh, I forget the kid's name. I wasn't really familiar with him ahead of time. But fouls out halfway through the second half. You you could just see that that the conference was very very interested in ensuring that uh, that their best representative in Winthrop make, makes it into the tournament. So you, you you just see some wild things, and then and then of course the the pox hanging over all of this thing is the uh, you know the specter of the coronavirus. The NCAA did come out this week and said that. You know, as of now, the plan is things are going on as normal, but the NBA is having conversations, having a potential of, of you know, going with, with empty arenas. And LeBron James saying, and I agree with him, we're better off not to play the games if we do that. But as a, as a guy who has tickets to, uh, to the first and second round games in Cleveland, something, something I'm monitoring, you know, very closely. I, I get the abundance of caution thing. I get... You know, everything you need to do, but uh, but but hate to see it. It would be you know it, it would be disastrous, quite frankly. From a I don't know from an atmosphere standpoint, I, I guess the games will still be played. Everybody will still watch them all on TV, but but just really won't be the same thing. You know, I I certainly don't know don't know the solution here. 
I, for one, I'm going to sound dumb. You, you know what I mean? Because to be, to be honest, I am dumb. You know, I, I, I think we may be overreacting here a little bit. I think there's precautions we can take. So, frankly, for me personally, and maybe maybe it's selfish because I, I spent a month's pay to <laughs> to attend these uh, next week, but you know, some, something to uh, something I hope you know we can find a way around. Something I hope we can, you know, they they can work out and find a way to get these played in these home arenas and with the uh, with the big. Uh, you know, with the big crowds, with the excitement, with the, you know, nothing better in the NCAA tournament than, you know, a mid-major, a Cinderella-type team and how an entire building, save for the, you know, student section of the higher-seeded school, getting on one team's side and it really becoming that cool atmosphere. And that's what I hope. I hope there's a way. I hope, you know, I understand you know, speaking of Cleveland, there was, a, I guess, a couple cases in Cuyahoga County, which, if I'm not mistaken, is where Cleveland is. And, and trust me, I may be mistaken. It's happened before. But, uh, you know, so hopefully, hopefully, uh, I don't want to say common sense prevails, but hopefully basketball sense prevails and they find a way to get this done. So, you know, one thing I, I did want to bring up with Rick, I, I am trying to get him back in. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't know what happened. He, understand something. You know, we joke around uh, about how old he is, but I, I think I actually underestimate how old Rick Briggs is. He's essentially over there with a, with a string and a tin can, and so the fact that his phone actually lasted the first 15 minutes of the show is is, is actually rather rather impressive uh, for my mind. So hopefully he gets to the top of the mountain, or he can extend the antenna on his phone, or or, or whatever he can do to get uh, get called back in. We'll be uh, we'll be glad to have him. So I'll keep trying that in the meantime. Uh, sticking with the NCAA, but something I did yeah, all the way back to that, I lost for my train of thought insulting my co-host here. Well, one thing that does uh, bother me, and, and you, you, you'll see it more and more as these games get bigger and bigger through the conference tournaments as well as through as well as through uh, the NCAA tournament, is, is this end of game officiating. Uh, that that has become just an absolute disaster here here in the NCAA. You, one thing that bothered me, perfect example, I was watching uh, the Kentucky-Florida game uh, yesterday in a tremendous basket, or was it Saturday, whenever it was, a tremendous basketball game. Kentucky down up 16 or 18 in the second half, never led till the very end. But one thing I noticed is part of making that comeback is they had burnt all of their timeouts. And as you see, as under the under two under two minute rule, where they can essentially—I know it's not everything—but they can essentially replay anything, everything that they want to. It. Oh, hold on! I think do we have Rick Briggs back? Do we? I think we do. I lost my internet. I don't know what happened, and uh, I. Finally got back on. I apologize. Oh, God bless him, Mary. I told them with the string and tin can you use as a cell phone, the fact that we got 15 minutes out of you was rather impressive. 
Well, you know, I actually went from a soup can to a coffee can, so actually I uh, was able to get back on. Uh, so, so something with a bigger antenna, I like it. All right, Rick, so I had just transitioned. This is good because I wanted to talk to you about this because as an old guy, I know this has got to infuriate you, and it's really starting to infuriate me, and it's the end-of-game officiating in the NCAA right now where essentially they are – replaying anything that happens absolutely anything that happens under the last two minutes and I was using the example of I was watching the Kentucky Florida game which was an awesome game came Kentucky down 16 18 uh in the second half came all the way back hit the go-ahead bucket with with less than a minute to go but but one thing I, I what I was noting was John Calipari in order to make that comeback had burnt all his timeouts early in the second half and then you get under two minutes you get in a tie game you get in a one possession game you know there's an out of bounds play they replay that was clearly they they got it right on the court the the go ahead bucket they they initially called a goaltending that they knew wasn't a goaltending and the announcers on the game even said they went ahead and called it goaltending because they knew they could go back and look at it so essentially these teams you get under two minutes get upwards of four five six eight ten twelve free timeouts as if it's a closed game they will go replay everything and I think it takes takes a big piece of the strategy out of the game. I'm all for getting it right. We talk about this a lot with the NFL, but I think they've gone too far here. I actually think you're absolutely correct. And it is, look, we want to get it right, but the referees are there to make calls. You know, pretty soon, I mean, if they make a uh you know, a hand check foul, they don't replay that and see if it's a real foul. I mean, it's still a judgment call. This kind of stuff with like, with like the goaltending is ridiculous. It either is or it isn't. And that's where they should be held taken to task for making, just blowing the whistle on every play. I mean, it, it, we've seen it in the NFL. Every, every play that has any significance, and of course every play has significance towards the end of a, of a close NCAA basketball game, therefore there's more and more whistles while we can get it right. Yeah, but just like you said, the strategy starts going out the window because they're reducing clock management. And, you know, the co- it, it's so much easier on the coaches and, and things of this nature. And... You know, I dare say it. some of these whistles favor the other teams as well. Oh, no doubt about it. The one that really kills me, and I don't recall it may have, I don't recall it being an issue in this specific game that, that, that got me thinking about it, is when you get under two minutes, under a minute specifically, then on every whistle they are going to the table to check the clock, to, to put a tenth or two back on or take, a tenth or two off I'm sorry just when you're talking about tenths of seconds you almost have to allow for that timekeeper to push a button allow for a tenth or two of a second for an official to blow a whistle all you are doing and it favors both teams to a degree but you're giving teams free timeouts they go to the table they go to the bench maybe it draws things up you know makes it 
better play, better. I don't know. I like to see the game not take the timeout, go to the other end. You get that uh, Valparaiso situation from 20 however many years ago. That's the one I really think has to stop. Unless an official believes that the scorekeeper absolutely flubbed it, you just got to let it go. I agree 100%. In this this tenth of a second clock, I don't think it should be even implemented till like the last 15 seconds, and quite frankly. And, I mean, it, it, it worked for however many decades before they come up with this. And it's, it, they're making everything too microscopic to be basically a human reaction game, which is what the whole game is. And – it, it doesn't make for better play in my mind. If something like you said, if somebody has burned out all their timeouts, there should be a disadvantage to that, quite frankly. And it, with all these whistles towards the end of the game, it takes that disadvantage away or the advantage away from the other team, you know, that had saved their timeouts and, and the strategies if you're sitting there 25 years ago and you have no timeouts left, you're not sitting there thinking, well, they're going to blow a whistle and look at something here pretty soon and we can draw up a play. You're going to try to be screaming. You're going to be looking like Raleigh Massimino running around, sweat flying off his tie, hanging over his shoulder <laughs> and going crazy, trying to get word out to your troops, you know, to save the day. I mean, I think it takes a lot of the excitement away from the game. Yeah, I, I was actually watching. It, it, it made me think about it. I'm kind of a loser. That, that may stun you, Rick. But uh, what was it, last week or the week before? I can't remember. ESPN Classic was showing a, a pit at Syracuse basketball game. and it, I think it was 89-90. Sean Miller was, was running the point, so, so it was in that time frame. And Pitt had a big lead halfway through the second half, but it burned through all their timeouts. I don't don't know why, you know, don't remember how they got there. They had burned all their timeouts, and then as happens in the Carrier, Carrier Dome, especially in those days, Syracuse started mounting this huge comeback, and they were talking about it on the broadcast, and it's a thing you notice, you know, the crowd, there's 50,000 people in there, whatever, they cram in there for a basketball game in that football stadium, and Pitt was powerless to do anything about it. It just kept rolling and kept rolling and kept rolling, and you could see the advantage Syracuse had having timeouts and the disadvantage they put Pitt at as Syracuse was making that run I think I, I want to see that you know let, let's stop you know, they weren't looking at tenths a second I'd take the tenths off the clock I could just go with solid second that, that'd be fun you're inbounding the ball with one second you don't know if you have a full second or a tenth I, I'd rather see that yeah I, I agree 100 percent we don't need the tenth of a second. I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I was, you know, saying the last 15 seconds. I think that would be the only time period where I would even consider using it. You know, at a, at a, at a last second desperation shot from wherever. You know, did it get off in time? You know, if it did, fine. If not, big deal. I don't think we need it for anything else. 
Yeah, it's just it, 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 you're going to see it a lot. You know, the, the the end of these games is always interminable. They they just the last two minutes of a close game take a half an hour, and you just know that. But I, I really think looking at this nonsense. So so let's do a hard pivot here, Rick. Talking about clock management. Where did you where did you happen to be watching the Houston Roughnecks versus the Seattle Vipers on Saturday? I really wish I could have said I did, but I didn't. All right. So you probably don't even know. You you refuse to hop on board of the XFL excitement the way I have. But don't worry, Rick. I will be our official XFL correspondent. So I wouldn't say I, I refusing. It's just that I you know I have sampled it, and I have just found that. I've had better things to do on the weekends. You have nothing to do. <laughs> what are you talking about? You have better things to do. I'm sorry, but I do. I mean, you understand you can get drunk while you watch the XFL, so just sitting on the porch I'm sorry. Getting... I, I do. What? Uh, we losing. Right I didn't here. say a word. Oh, all right. I'm right here. All right. I, I think this is fun. I, I'll tell you what. So, anyhow, let, let's get right into it. So, late in the game, late in the fourth quarter, Houston is up nine, which, if you don't know, Rick, nine points is still a one-possession game. So, yes, I do know that. I'm not stupid here. Well, let's let's not oversell it. But uh, so Houston's up nine. They're running out the clock. They're they're taking knees. So it's fourth down. Houston's on their own twenty-one, up nine. The the quarterback PJ something as the official correspondent. I should remember his last <laughs> name, but it doesn't matter. Embracing the excitement, I can tell already. Well, TJ's something or other. That's right. It's something or other. That that's his God-given name. So, with two or three seconds left to go in the game, takes a knee. You could hear, you know, how they do that cool thing. You could hear uh, OC June Jones in his head saying, take a couple steps, throw it over their bench. Well, this kid, of course, took a knee. Three seconds to go. The clock doesn't stop running. So the clock runs out, you know, in, in, in the XFL. They have all that instant replay where it doesn't have to be buzzed in, no flags, no nothing. They're looking at everything. So the announcer, Steve Levy, is saying, all right, nobody go anywhere. Everybody's out shaking hands. Hey, nobody go anywhere. They're going to look at this thing. It, it's going to be good. The officials announce the game's over and start running off the field. Levy's losing his mind. So they're actually able to talk to the head of officiating in the replay booth as everybody's shaking hands and exchanging jerseys. And you can see the officials running up the tunnel. And Levy says, this guy's name's Wes Booker. He's the head of officials. Levy says to him, hey, you know, what's going on here? You look By our cameras, it looks like there's two or three seconds left in this game. And old Booker says, yeah, you're right. We see that. It should have been two or three seconds left. And Levy said, all right, you're bringing him back out in the field because it should be Seattle ball on on Houston's 21 with a chance to go in and tie this game he says well yeah we should but we've already declared the game over and, and then he just sort of clammed up <laughs> and Levy's grilling this guy I actually give him credit it's kind of cool that type of access he's grilling this guy so the good thing is about 15 minutes after the game I'm flipping through the tweeters and there's a tweet from the XFL that essentially admits the mistake and says uh 
says that Wes Booker has been reassigned, it says, and I put reassigned in quotation marks, is I think he's being reassigned to the unemployment line. So just sort of a wild thing. Would you love the NFL to give you that access, admit that mistake, and say not only that, this clown's out of here. Get out of here. Yeah, it, it would be excellent. And now, now get, let me get this right. This was a fourth down, kneel down. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Okay. And it, it just they just let the clock run out and, you know, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. Let's get out of here. Yep. Pack it up. I'm tired of all you drunks. We're all going home. And, Sounds you know, like my kind of league. Yeah. So, I mean, it's probably the, the clock operator, right, saying – you know, not understanding it was fourth down. Although in the XFL, under two minutes, I believe the clock stops no matter what, anyhow. So, but on the change of possession, let it run and out. The referees didn't notice. The head of the head of officials acknowledged it, but apparently didn't notice it till later and didn't want to bring everybody back. It was kind of a wild scene. Can you can imagine? What well, how this... about the opposing head coach? Did he not notice that? Well, that made uh, something I wondered about too, and that's nothing we talked anybody talked about, right? Is why didn't somebody in uh, in Seattle say, "Hold on"? Well, I know why. Never mind. It's that dullard Jim Zorn. <laughs> that's why it wasn't noticed. Jim Zorn's the head coach of Seattle. And you know, it, it's kind of funny. You you're not old enough to remember Jim Zorn playing football. Jim Zorn was, he was an exciting, not that great, but he was an exciting player to watch. Back when Seattle was an expansion team, he was a lefty. He was a run and gun type of guy. He was an exciting quarterback to watch. And to see him morph into this toad on a mushroom is just (laughs) amazing to me. He, He really is. He's like the most boring person alive oh yeah and yeah you're you're right i have no memory uh, of his playing days so my first memories of jim zorn were the head coach uh, of the washington redskins and just the the stupid things he would say in his press conference and the obvious lack of respect anybody in that Washington locker room had. And, and then you go, you just imagine if Mike Tomlin, you know, two seconds left in the game, the clock should have stopped everybody running off. He'd have run, he'd have tackled an official. It, Bill Cowher, remember when he had that replay picture and stuffed it in the referee's pocket and, and about tackled him. I mean, what kind of, dope do you have to be because you know something's coming down from his side if i saw it and i noticed it right away how in god's name does jim zora you know he seems like was he like a hippie type when he played or something he just seems like a shiny happy people hippie type of guy well no i mean i wouldn't say that he was more or less like a i don't know how to to put it but a, a, a 70s I don't know, Brett Favre sort of attitude. You know what I mean? Certainly not the talent or the success of Brett Favre had, but just kind of that, you know, gunslinger, you know, we win, we win, we lose, we lose. So be it, you know, but I, I don't know how he, I, I really don't know. His personality is dull and obviously his sense of the game is gone because I, I just can't imagine, like you said, a, you know, a Bill Cower, a, a Tomlin, a Belichick, you know, basically any of the 32 coaches in the NFL that are around right now, 
they they would be losing their minds. Yeah, and it just is much. And I know it's the XFL, not the NFL, and they're they're hard to compare. But somebody's watching this stuff, right? I mean, if I saw okay, take it, a, take a college coach. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, yeah, they're the XFL. They're not in the NFL, but these guys are still professionals, and and it's ridiculous to be that oblivious to what's going on in the game. Now. Uh, in, in the way this one ended, look, being that Jim Zorn's such a dullard, he'd have probably called a draw from the 21 with two <laughs> seconds to go, and it, it ultimately wouldn't have mattered. But but just wild wild to see a game end like that. It, 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 you know, I wonder, does this help the product that they were so decisive and, and called this joker out, you know, almost immediately and, and essentially said, look, he's out of here, or does it hurt the product? I think one takeaway I did did have Rick for all the screaming and one thing we talked about before the XFL before we knew what it was going to be one thing you and I were calling for on the old show as the NFL was just embarrassing themselves week after week with horrific officiating was saying look let's just have somebody in the booth that can stop it at any time and override an official and make a decision happen as you can see here you know and I I guess it's kind of disheartening to a degree that even with all of those measures in place these kind of things can still happen (laughs) It's, it's stunning to me it really is I mean with the with the technology and you know, a camera and a microphone everywhere. I mean, it, it, it's amazing to me that, I mean, you, know, you can talk about baseball. I mean, my God, they're using buzzers and everything to steal signs. <laughs> you can't figure out, okay, the clock needed to stop at two or three seconds, whatever it was. It, it is. It's ludicrous. In this day and age, it, it's almost unfathomable to think that something like that can happen. But yet it does. Yeah. When and this guy, like I said, he'll he'll never work again. When you that's your job, right? To watch the every aspect of an individual play and, and to stop it. And, and I think really it was his reaction. Like, yeah, we see that it should have been two seconds. Everybody's still standing on the field. Everybody's still in the stands. The referees are still visible. And to just say, well, but we declared the game over. That's some NFL type stuff right there, right? You know, we made a decision, so by God, we're just sticking to it. You, you didn't have to do that. You could have just said, but that referee or whatever however they talk to the official would say get him back out there essentially I think what they're saying is oh it'd have been too hard to clear the field it doesn't matter if it takes you 40 minutes you clear that field and you play I'm just stunned that could still happen I am too I mean it's it's ridiculous and I think ultimately it's going to hurt the league look this this league's precarious no matter what you know the the Numbers that are coming out that the um, in-stadium attendance is pretty well holding steady at around 19,000, something like that, which is okay, but it's the TV ratings that are going down. And when you start seeing this kind of a product, look, you know, I've got basketball coming up. You know, the hockey players are coming up. But, you know, I'm not going to sit and watch these guys screw up some football game. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, the average fan. 
Right. Yeah. And it, it does, you know, yeah. they're, they're already fighting the, the, you know, the big fight of, you know, this is Bush league, this is amateur hour. And then kind of the one thing they had going for them, other than that sort of the small, you know, the 19,000 passionate fan, hey, you watch a game, a home game in DC in that, in that tiny soccer state, it's really cool. And you could almost see, kind of kind of getting whipped up into it but but really fighting that stigma and then this is just more fuel for that right look at this. all all the, so all the praise they get is this access you can hear the coaches talking all the replays the scoring rules all these or the the timing rules I'm sorry all these things that they're getting praise for that might keep them alive until this thing could possibly take off and then you just spit right in its eye you know in one play you wonder this might be be a, I, I don't want to be overstated. This might be a turning point in the wrong direction for this league. It could be. And you hit on something as well with some of these smaller venue stadiums. Um, if, if you remember, we covered the, the Hall of, NFL Hall of Fame inductions for quite a few years um, in, in some of our previous you know positions or whatever. And that game seemed so much more intense and impactful when they still had the, the old high school stadium. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. The last time we were there, they had put in, they had put in all the renovations. I forget how many millions of dollars and how many more seats, et cetera. In fact, where we used to park um, for the week was torn down and, and they were basically incorporating that, you know, and it, the last time we were there, the stadium was so much bigger, but it wasn't jam packed like it used to be. And it was loud and it was exciting. And, you know, I think this XFL could really, you know, use that to their advantage with the noise and the excitement of a smaller place. Yeah. Maybe there's only 19,000 people there, but if it's filled to capacity, that's what you want. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I, I think and we talked about this, I think, after after week one of the XFL. This is where they could sort of exist, right? You have, and I love your, your Hall of Fame game kind of analogy, because when you had a game like that, and it literally was a high school stadium. I don't know what the capacity was. It wasn't very much. I mean, it would have been the nicest high school stadium in the country, outside of Texas, anyhow. <laughs> Some of those things are, are, are unreal. But it was small, it was intimate, it had an event feel to it. And it's I think that's where the XFL – I mean, D.C. is a perfect example. They just need to figure out what they're doing in D.C. and mimic that. And if you have that type of stadium, it gives it that event type of feel, even though it's not true pro football as we think about it in terms of the NFL. It's small, it's intimate, you got the, you got the passionate crowd. It, like you said, it, it's loud. And when you put the XFL in MetLife State, Stadium, or when you put the Hall of Fame game, which let's be honest, if you weren't there in the high school stadium, even at, watching it at home was unwatchable because nobody you've ever heard of even steps foot on the field. But in that small little event type of scenario, then when you build the big stadium at the Hall of Fame, when you put the XFL in MetLife, it loses 
any ch- charms the only word I can add to it. There's a charm to doing these things in these smaller venues, and you, you just take it away playing it in a massive stadium. And I think you know now I won't say the Hall of Fame made a mistake because they will still sell all of those tickets, and and that's the ultimate goal. But really took the I'll use the dumb word again charm out of it. They really did. I agree, and, and let's be honest. If we didn't, if we weren't credentialed to get into the locker room, if we weren't credentialed to go to, you know, media day, et cetera, I wouldn't be going to that game. I mean, quite frankly, it was the access to the players that you and I were, were privileged to have to interview some of these people, you know, which was, you know, it, let's face it. It was the first preseason game of, of of each year and you know it was nice to get just some insight or some perspective moving forward and some excitement from certain players but to just go there and watch the game it was miserable oh <laughs> it's not a good game and no nobody would argue it was but but there was something about it. it it was just cool you got nfl players coming out of a high school locker room <laughs> you know what i mean down a, up a high school tunnel there, there was something cool about it you you take that away and i think the xfl faces the same thing look it's easy to say just put it in a cool tiny new soccer stadium like dc well not everybody has that i grant you that and there's no xfl owners i i think that are thinking well this is such a big proposition i can build stadiums i get it but you know i I think you find cities you start moving things around find cities there's that that one in la that the chargers have been playing in find the cities with these small stadiums with a good fan base and i i think that's how you survive that and you know being able to operate a clock wouldn't hurt either now that always comes in handy when when it comes down to a a tight game (laughs) All right. Well, let, let's hop on. I guess I've been dominating this. This is hard when we can't take cues, can't see. Did you have anything, Rick, or I got a couple more stories? No, go for it. We're we're fine. I mean, this is working out okay. I mean, I understand that uh, since we don't can't stick our tongues out at each other in the studio and throw stuff at each other, it, it's a little difficult. But, you know, it, it's working out okay. Bring up a subject, we'll knock it out. And on the plus side, you didn't show up in the studio today because of this flu outbreak. Nobody else is in the studio, so I'm not wearing pants. So picture that, Rick, as we go on for the last uh, 15 minutes of the show today. I'd rather not. <laughs> All right, so so here we go. I, this one I find not not the fact that it happened interesting, but, but uh, I think it brings up a discussion I wanted to have with you, Rick. So Tony Romo gets 19 mil to stay at CBS this year. Uh, ESPN trying to trade for Al Michaels to pair with Peyton Manning, who if they can get him on board, will quick, quickly start out-earning Tony Romo at $19 million. The players were upset. You know, that that was all foolishness. I don't want to talk about that. What I'm curious about, Ray, I don't know if you – most people agree. I don't know if you do or not. I really like Tony Romo. I think he does a good job. I really enjoy his broadcast. But do these announcers, be it play-by-play or color, Rick – 
do they affect the ratings whatsoever? Look, I'm, I'm glad Tony Romo get every penny you can. He's great. He's earned it. But I'm thinking you could bring a slug in there for being that primetime 4 o'clock Sunday CBS game. I'm just stunned by the amount of money these networks are willing to throw, throw around. Do you really think it affects ratings of something like the NFL? Yeah, I think it does, quite frankly. Um yeah, you know, let, let's face it. Let, let, let's just go back in time. I'll go back in time enough that you'll be able to remember. You know, Pat Summerall, John Madden. I mean, that was the classic announcing pairing, and they were always at the most most watched games. Am I not right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, because they were what people wanted to listen to. Pat Summerall was, you know. Uh, I don't know if Pat's in the Hall of Fame, but he was certainly, uh, you know, a significant player in his day and um, a true gentleman, by the way. I, I knew Pat. And and John Madden, who was a Hall of Fame coach, he had won Super Bowls. They knew what they were talking about. They worked so good together. Uh, just a smooth transition. And, look, I am, I'm all in for, you know, pairing up the, the good one. Look, all you have to do is turn on the NFL on any given Sunday. You know, turn on the red zone when they go to a scoring play with the with the Bengals and the Bucks. See who's announcing it, and put it in your memory banks and compare it to Tony Romo and, and Al Michaels or whoever the, the partners and so forth is. You know Jim Nance, and just put it in your put it in your head and compare them. You'll see why they're on the prime games into prime times and making the prime money. No, no, and I understand all that up to the money. What I'm curious about it, and I don't honestly know, is if it is week 16, Kansas City's at New England for the number one overall seed, four o'clock window. Now, obviously, it's going to be Nance and Romo, right? But if it was... Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts, would it really matter? Everybody's still going to watch that game, right? Or am I wrong? I agree there, but, I mean, you pull up an Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts, which are probably, what, the number two team, I would say, or number three, something of that nature. Um, but it's not Bob Scalili and, and Otis Osborne, you know, <laughs> doing the Bengal game while they're getting pasted 48-6 in week eight. I, I agree what you're saying. But, um, you know, does it affect the ratings? I don't know if it does or not, but you're worth what you get paid for. Oh, absolutely, and, yes. And if they're going to pay Tony Romo $19 million to broadcast the primetime games, more power to them. I mean, they want their prime pairing for the prime game. So, I mean, look, there's eggheads in the executive offices of every network that, that sit here and crunch numbers and look at trends and, and so forth and figure all this stuff out. They're a lot smarter than you and I put together when it comes to that kind of thing. Well, that's a and, low threshold. Okay. It, it is, but you know, that's all I have right now. I mean, I have an empty beer can in front of me and it's close to us. <laughs> Shocker. You have an empty beer can in front of you. Well, certainly. But anyway, I mean, I, I really think that um, it does, to a point, affect the ratings. I mean, you bring up a specific 
example of like the Chiefs and the Patriots going for the number one seed, et cetera. But if it's like week eight and you are watching, I mean, I, I may have, I may tend to watch Tony Romo and Jim Nance broadcast a, I don't know, Chicago Tampa game as opposed to a regular rum dum team do a New England Kansas City game, quite frankly. Really? Okay. Well, see, and that that's what I'm curious about. I think the appetite for the NFL, you know, honestly, they could have that empty beer can of yours and this pen in my hand broadcast some of these games <laughs> and it'll still be the highest rated show you know, on the network that week. But, I look, I agree, you know, it gives it that big game feel. When you had Summerall and Madden, when you have, you know, Sunday night with Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, when you have Nance and whoever his color guy is, you now obviously being Romo, it gives it that big game feel. So, so maybe it does, or maybe it's just they're making so much money, you pay these guys because it's just a better product. Maybe it matters in advertising, you know, ta- talking about the eggheads. But here, here's what I do know, Rick, and I'm sure they're listening in. You know the old saying, you know, a rising tide raises all ships, right? You're you're with me there. So now the bar has been set. Tony Romo's making $19 million a year. So I don't know what the, how the division multiplication, whatever it is, works from Tony Romo down to us. But 12-ounce sports and all the executives there, you are on notice right now. Tony Romo has reset the bar. Rick Briggs and Rick Fligger, and it's just sports. We're coming for you. That ship has arisen, and we're coming for ours. So they might be on the verge of a holdout here until we get our chunk of Tony Romo money. Are we in solidarity here, my union brother? You better believe it, buddy. We're blood, 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 blood. Well, there blood goes that raise. Thanks for that. Good <laughs> God. We are blood brothers when it comes to that. No doubt about that. But uh, that wasn't to cover something. We don't have a whole lot of time left. But I just wanted to, um, you know, last week was the, uh, you know, the Arnold Palmer Invitational. And, you know, eight-time champion of that event, Tiger Woods, sat out due to a sore back. And... It, it just kind of struck me that that is one tournament that Tiger did not miss, you know, leading up to the Masters, as you well know. Are you kind of worried about Tiger's back heading into April? Um, I'm I'm terrified, Rick. I, what I don't want is him coming into Augusta, you know, after you know what's it going to be months off, some something like that. It's going to be. I'm I'm fearful of his back in general. You know I'm one of those dumb fans who I, I'll watch the majors, but I only get real excited about a tournament that's not called the Masters or the U.S. Open if Tiger Woods is playing. Let, let's not forget, Rick, Tiger Woods is going to skip the players as well. So, so this yeah, tells, you're right. This, you're absolutely right. This tells me it isn't right, and he's trying to get it right so he could be ready. So I'm nervous, number one, about his availability for the Masters and certainly don't like the idea of him coming into the Masters having not played since, what, mid-February when he threw up all over himself out in San Diego. I'm worried he's not right. Uh, you, you thought he was on the comeback. He looked healthy. He looked good. He looked dominant at times and, and was competitive all the time. I, I'm terrified 
terrified as a Tiger fan, and I, I think the PGA Tour ought to be terrified as well. Well, he does have a win earlier in the year. Am I not correct? Yeah. One of the first, yeah, exactly. And and it's been ever since he won, you know, he seems to be just, you know, tailing off. I mean, he missed a cut, like you said, in L.A., and I don't think he's played since. And, yeah, it certainly does, you know, it's concerning to people. I mean, look, you have Rory and you have Spieth and you have, you know, Lefty and, of course, you know, Bubba Watson and so forth going to Augusta that's had success and are are well known to people, you know, but Tiger brings that Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer type of mystique towards, towards the, the tournament itself. And, you know, with him missing, you know, the, the Arnold Palmer and now the players championship, I, you know, I'm the same way. I was very concerned. I just wanted to get your take on that. It's, um, you know, it's going to be one of these week-to-week things. Jesus, Tiger going to play because he's going to have to play at least another tournament, I would think, before the Masters just to get back into some sort of rhythm, I would think. Boy, you would think so. Yeah, you really would. But you, you take the Arnold – why is that so hard to say, the Arnold Palmer out of it? You take the players out of it. I, I don't know where he's going to go. He's not going to catch Jack, is he? I'm starting to believe again that he was going to. He's not going to catch him. I'm – yeah, I'm rather dubious about it just because of his – and and you know from our years together on, on different shows – I said he wouldn't catch Jack just because of his violent nature of his swing and the health problems that he had with his back, his leg, and so forth. And even though he's he's gotten back into, you know, playing prime back, you know, last year at this time, working into the Masters, which he won, obviously, and he, he had, I don't know how many surgeries now, but now this back's giving him problems again. I just do not think that his body can take that type of punishment any longer. No, no, I, I think it's clear. Now you see this, you see a comeback and then there's a fall off and a comeback and a slip and a fall, a comeback and a split and a slip. And it, it just keeps happening over and over again. Like you mentioned, he won earlier this year coming off of the, you know, the masters win last year and he slipped after that and he gets the win early and you think, all right, now he's right. Now here he goes. And just, just bad all around. I wish there would be somebody who, who could emerge, you know, we, we thought it would be Spieth for a while. You, know, you think Rory, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Rory can't finish on a Sunday. Yeah. Kepka, he, he he's good. He could be talent wise to that level, but it, it's like talking to a block of wood or your empty beer can sitting there hearing him interviewed right it's just nothing exciting about him yeah, i mean the biggest thing from kepka is when he pulled his face away from his girlfriend which tried to kiss him when he won the the tournament <laughs> last year and you know i don't know how much time we have left but i, I just wanted to recommend to you and to listeners i saw a film it was on um uh, golf films i I think it was it was on the golf channel so I, but it was a it was a three-part series for uh, on arnie it was called arnie and they're they talking you know his whole life and career and so forth but you know after he passed away i think it was in 2016 it was like in 2018 he was still third 
only behind Tiger and Mickelson as far as endorsement money. <laughs> and I mean, it was just incredible. I, I just encourage anybody, you know, especially like you, I mean, you really don't remember him just to witness. I mean, some of these, these scenes from like the sixties, it looked like a riot on, on each hole he was at. It was just incredible. And, um, you know, it, it's just a really informative little documentary that they had. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, that that that's one. You know, I remember the tail end of Jack Arnold was he was all and he's a local legend. You know, us here being in Western PA, he was just always kind of the ambassador to everything I watched. I obviously don't remember him participating, but I guess that's it, Rick. We survived this only uh, one technological hiccup. So considering you're one half of the technology to get this done, I'm going to go ahead and consider that a win. <laughs> so, uh, oh, slam dunk. So uh, we thank everybody for being patient with us. We're going to get back in studio here. We'll, we'll get a deep clean going in the studio. Shows always sound better, and they certainly flow better when they're, we're in the same room. And we'll be back next week, Rick. We will have brackets in hand, and just what you all want, you're going to sit around and listen to Rick Briggs and I pick our brackets. So that's what everybody wants. So get your bookies ready get your polls ready I, I can't wait for it now now it's in now it's time you better believe it and i tell you what with our success in ncaa basketball predictions everybody wants to listen to it absolutely all right well i'm gonna hit the close music here thanks so much for joining us thanks for the patience we will be back next week with our ncaa tournament uh, prediction show you can check out everything over at 12 ounce sports at 12 ounce at 12 oz sports on twitter and of course follow us at asylum football asylum fantasy sports.com and it's just sports one two three at gmail hey until next time we'll see you Take care.